Good morning, church. And it is so great to be here. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, yes, I am your missionary to the campus of Lamar University. I got to Lamar back in 2008 as a young engineering student at Lamar with no idea that God was calling me to be a missionary. Since 2008, we've seen God touch so many lives on the campus of Lamar University, and this church is a part of what God is doing at Lamar. So uh, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for this staff team. Uh, my wife, Hannah, and I, we consider Byron and Ashley friends, and it is such a joy to be with you all. Uh, I'm not as young of a college student anymore. I have a family now. Uh, I've been doing ministry for 11 years, six of those years. Uh, I have been the uh, lead pastor for Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship, and uh, I'm a blessed man. I've got a wonderful wife and three kids, and I am really excited to get into the scriptures with you today. Let's continue our story, <clears throat> excuse me, let's continue our journey through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 13 this morning. Today's message is titled, How to Lead Others to Christ. Now, I have to start off this morning with a confession. I'm a missionary. I'm a professional Christian. Yet, if I'm honest with you all this morning, in the past 11 years, there have been many times in my life when I have been downright bad at evangelism. And I'm going to share one of those moments with you right now. As a young college student, probably a, a, a junior or senior at Lamar, I was involved with Chi Alpha, really excited about making disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, I was praying and God spoke to me, which doesn't happen very often, but I, I saw in my mind a large uh, A-frame sign with four little words on it. It said, can you know God? And I took that to mean that God was speaking to me to make a large sign, paint it, put it on campus, and talk to people about Jesus. So that's exactly what I did. We got a carpenter in the church to make a eight foot by four foot A-frame sign. Me and some buddies spent hours painting it in like lime green bright letters so everybody on campus could see it. We carried it and we set it in front of the library where there's a lot of traffic. And I would love to tell you that revival broke out at Lamar University, but in fact, we talked to very few people that day. I looked like the weird guy standing next to this, this large sign in the middle of campus, and I had a lot of zeal for the Lord, but I didn't have a lot of know-how when it came to evangelism. And some of you, you, you might feel the same way. Maybe you just came to faith in Christ, and maybe you're really excited about sharing your faith with people, but maybe you don't really know how to do it successfully. Or maybe you're kind of like, I am now, and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but if you're honest with yourself, talking to a stranger about Jesus seems like one of the scariest things in the planet. And if that's you, uh, we're going to have a great day today, because I believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning on how we can lead others to Jesus. So today I want to give us a few observations from our text that can help us point others to Christ. Evangelism does not have to be scary, friends. 
You see, evangelism is an opportunity. Each of you in this room, you personally know people who are far from Jesus right now. It may be your family members, it may be your coworkers, it may be the person who makes your favorite latte at the coffee shop that you frequent, but we are surrounded by people, <clears throat> we are surrounded by people who need to know Jesus. And you have been learning as a church in this series in Acts how to be the church. Friends, we need to be an Acts 1-8 church. Acts 1-8 is the thesis statement for the entire book of Acts. If you don't have that verse memorized, I encourage you to memorize it, especially while you're studying the book of Acts. Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, he looks at his disciples and he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hey, as a missionary, I love this verse. I am passionate about seeing the name of Jesus proclaimed all over the nations. You see, God's desire for this church is to be a church filled with people who would be his witnesses. See, if, if, if evangelism is intimidating to you, let, let, me, uh, let me encourage you with this. Christians are not called to save others. We are simply called to be a witness. Friends, do you understand that? We, we can't save anyone. Some of us try as we might, right? We wish we could. Only God can save. He is calling each of you to be a spirit-empowered follower of his and to simply be his witness. You see, Jesus makes this statement in Acts chapter 1, and then we see his words unfold as the church explodes. And so this morning, we're going to jump into our passage in Acts chapter 13, because every believer is called to be a witness. The context for our passage this morning is that Paul and Barnabas, they're on their first missionary journey. As a missionary, I love this part of the book of Acts. They leave the church in Antioch. They are sent out, and Paul and Barnabas go first to the island of Cyprus. They encounter a magician there. Some crazy things happen. The word of God is proclaimed. People get saved. This happens all throughout the book of Acts, which is what happens when spirit-empowered believers are a witness, people come to know Christ, and then they continue on their journey, and they're going to come to a city called Pisidian Antioch. So I'm in chapter uh, 13, and I'm going to start in verse 13 for us. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. First thing I want to pull out from this passage this morning is that Paul, he was prepared to preach. Hey, friends, as followers of Jesus, we need to be prepared to preach. 
They're in the synagogue. They're Jewish men, so it was normal for them on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue. They go to the synagogue, and one of the leaders says, hey, do you have anything to share? And Paul says, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. He was prepared to preach. Hey, friends, there will be moments in life just during everyday normal life where you will have the opportunity to share your faith in Christ, but we have to be prepared. Yes. It may happen sometimes when you least expect it. Maybe you're talking to a friend and they just ask you, hey, what are you doing this weekend? That's a great opportunity to say, well, I'm going to church. Would you like to come with me? Sometimes that's all that it takes, a simple invitation. Say, hey, why don't you, why don't you come to my small group? We, just, we meet in my living room and we read the Bible. We have to be prepared to preach. Other than being prepared, I, I believe there's other things we can do throughout the rhythms of our week that would equip us to share our faith with others. There are two really simple things. The first one is this, is that we need to connect with God daily. Hey, as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, one hour on a Sunday morning is not discipleship. That's not, that's not the majority of our spiritual formation. See, we are called to connect with God daily. We need to be reading God's word every single day. We need to be praying every single day. That's how we grow in our faith. Prayer is communication with God. We talk to him, and he talks to us. And if we, will, uh, if we will devote ourselves daily to connecting with God, he will produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. He will empower us with his Holy Spirit. And when those moments come that we're not expecting, we'll be prepared to preach. So first, we need to connect with God daily. Secondly, we need to join the life of the church hey, congratulations, you're at church, good job. You are well on your way to connecting to the life of the church. But it's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning and sitting, though that is really important. You need to serve in your local church. You need to join a serve team. You need to volunteer. You need to get to know the people in your church. You need to join a small group. I'm in a small group in my church. Just this week, we were actually talking about evangelism. We were talking about how we can share our faith with others, and I was encouraged and built up and challenged and stretched. And when you join a small group, you build real relationships with people. That's discipleship, life on life with other followers of Jesus. And friends, if you will do that, I promise you, God will equip you with everything that you need. And when the moment comes, you will be prepared to preach. So Paul stands up. And he begins to preach. This is the first recorded sermon of Paul in the book of Acts. I think it's a really good sermon. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read this entire sermon for us. It's most of our text this morning. And then we're going to look at why he's doing what he's doing, why he's saying some of these things and what we can learn. Okay, so let's get ready for a sermon inside of a sermon. I'm in verse 17. It says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. 
And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, and he begins to quote scripture. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, another scripture. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. The first sermon of Paul in the book of Acts. Notice how Paul begins with a history of the nation of Israel. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to people who would know Jewish history. And then as quickly as he can, he gets to Jesus. And that's our second point this morning. As Christians, we are called to proclaim Christ. Friends, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear me. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, your purpose in life is to proclaim Christ. Jaw, uh, uh, excuse me, Paul, he is ready to preach. He gets up and he speaks a Jewish message to a Jewish audience and he gets 
to Jesus as quickly as he can. Starts with history, gets to Christ, proclaims the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then he begins to share scriptures. Friends, we need to know our audience if we're going to be able to preach effectively. Okay? Now, you know people personally. If you have opportunities to share the, your, your faith with them, you would be wise to, to, uh, to minister to them as the best way you can. And sometimes we speak to people and we don't know them, right? Which, which a, a, a good side note, if, if you're sharing your faith with someone, avoid uh, churchy words, avoid Christianese. Try to, the message doesn't change, but it's our job to present it in a way where people can receive it. So use everyday language. Now, if you're talking to somebody raised in church, sure, use all the the churchy words you want to use because they'll understand that, right? If not, know your audience. Maybe you know someone personally and you know the struggles that they've gone through and you can minister to them and share the hope of the gospel that meets their deepest needs. But know your audience. Know who you're talking about. Paul preached a Jewish message to a Jewish audience. And as I said, he got to Jesus as quickly as possible because the gospel begins and ends with Jesus, friends. It's all about Jesus. And he preaches a message about Christ. And then he finishes it with a lot of Old Testament scriptures. This Bible is powerful enough to save. We believe that the word of God, it is living and active. And if we are going to be prepared to preach Christ, friends, we need to know the Bible. So my question for you is, do you know God's word? Came across some interesting statistics this week. According to a Gallup 2022 poll, one in four Christians in America believes the Bible to be the literal and true word of God. According to Gallup, one in four Christians, not just Americans, people who pro- profess faith in Christ, only one in four of them believe the Bible to be true and the literal word of God. Friends, that's scary if Christians don't believe God's word. According to a LifeWay research poll in 2019, one in three Christians who regularly attend church So these are Christians, not just who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they actually go to church. Only one in three of them read the Bible daily. Friends, we live in a biblically illiterate culture today, in a society today. My fear, though, is that we we live in churches that are biblically illiterate as well. Friends, we must know God's word. You must be connecting with God daily or else you will have no gospel to preach to the world. Paul knew the word and he preached the word. And he got as quickly to Christ as he could in this message. And let's see what happens next. Picking it up in verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Christ is proclaimed, and then we see the people's response. We believe that when we preach Christ, when we share our faith with others, people will respond, typically in one of two ways. They will accept the message or they will reject the message. Although, I'll say this, I believe there can be a third response. I see this all the time on the campus of Lamar. I believe there can be apathy to, to Jesus, which is really rejection of Jesus. We live in a very apathetic culture. People need to see Jesus lived in us, in our lives, and in our words. We need both. Some people think, well, I'll just, I'll just read my Bible quietly in the corner, and people will come and ask me about my faith. And that's great, but use your words, friend. Live it out and preach it with your words. But we see the people's response here. Some of them are like, man, tell me more about this Jesus. They're like following them out of the synagogue. T -t tell me more. And yet the Jews, the religious people, they begin to contradict Paul's message. Literally, they begin to oppose Paul to his face. See, the preaching of God's word, it demands a response. You cannot hear the gospel message and say, stay the same. That option is just not given to us from the Lord. When you hear the good news of Jesus, you can repent or you can rebel. There is no middle ground. We see that. We see, uh, we see two very diametrically opposed responses to the preaching of Paul, to the preaching of Jesus. People are either going to accept it or reject it. And friends, let me tell you, if you do not know Jesus, today is your opportunity to accept Jesus. Jesus loves you. 2,000 years ago, he really lived. He really died on an actual wooden Roman cross. He was placed in a real grave, and he resurrected in a real bodily form. It's not, it's not hypothetical. It's not theoretical. It's true. It's historical fact. And friends, when he was on that cross, he was thinking of you. How much he loves you. How much he came to, to change your life. And we're about to see someone this morning in this service whose life has been completely changed because of Jesus. Jesus can give you hope. He can give you peace. He can give you joy. So we see how the people respond. Let's move on here. We're in verse 46 now. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, speaking to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, 
I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. After the people's response, we then see perseverance in opposition. We see literal persecution that many of us in this room have never experienced where we live. Let's have have a sober sense of reality for a moment. Probably none of us in this room have experienced persecution. Maybe you have. Maybe you have. Maybe there have been family members who have ostracized you. Maybe you've, you've been outed in, 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 a, in a group setting because of your faith in Christ. Maybe. Um, but Jesus is worthy of us being persecuted for. Jesus is worthy suffering for. See, as followers of Jesus, we need to expect rejection, yet remain faithful. Just expect rejection. I think that would take some of the fear out of the the thought of sharing our faith with others if maybe we would just expect a little opposition every once in a while. Just get ready for it. But remain faithful. Paul and Barnabas, speaking to the Jews, says, they're telling them to say, this gospel message was for you first. But if you won't accept it, we'll go to the people who will. See, friends, there are people who are ready to receive the gospel. Sometimes it just takes a few experiences of rejection before we get to the people who are ready to receive the gospel with joy. So be ready for rejection. But know this, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel that you preach. But if, if we would be ready and willing to persevere, I believe God will change Beaumont. If we would be, if we would be ready... If we would be faithful even through opposition, even through persecution, I believe Jesus will raise up missionaries from this church to go all over the world. I believe your workplace could be changed forever. I believe your family can be changed forever if we would expect rejection and yet remain faithful. Just to to comment on uh, maybe some of you, maybe there are some of us in the room here who you've been really faithful to share your faith with your friends or family members. And if that's you, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you and grateful for, for you and your, your, um, your faithfulness and perseverance. But sometimes, instead of whacking people over the head, uh, we need to just step back a little bit and just pray for them and intercede for them. 
There's a student on campus, I'm pretty sure when I see him, he starts walking the other way. And I don't, I don't run him down and say, hey, man, let's read the Bible today. No, I, sometimes I do run after him, but I say, hey, man, how are you? And I smile really big. I say, hey, how, how's your day going? And then he's ready to say bye, and, and I say bye. And then I go and I pray for him. And he's on my prayer list every day that I pray for. He, he came once to small group, doesn't seem super interested, but I'm praying for him. Because I know God's not done with him yet. And if you've experienced rejection, even repeated rejection, don't give up. Pray for them. God is not done with them. Maybe for some of us in that room, that was you. Someone was praying for you and didn't give up on you. Let's remain faithful. And then lastly, we have the promise of salvation. I'm going to go back to verse 48. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Then skip down to verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have a promise of salvation. We serve a God who who tells us that his word will not return void. And in the middle of opposition, we see the church beginning, continuing to explode and to grow. Because spirit-empowered believers were sent out. There was a promise of salvation. And we see the disciples, they were filled with joy. Friends, the proclamation of the gospel leads to joy. Nothing in this world compares to knowing Jesus. And if you've never experienced this yourself, I I can't explain it well enough. I can't describe it. You just have to live it. You have to experience it. Knowing Jesus is true life. Nothing in this world compares. And that's many of us in this room. That's probably your experience. Is that you tried everything the world had to offer. And it left you broken. And it left you empty. And yet Jesus came and changed your life. Paul and Barnabas, they're literally run out of town. Yet what is left in their wake is a thriving church filled with believers, full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus wants Redemption Church to be. A church full of joy and of the Holy Spirit, empowered to be his witnesses. If this church will be that, Beaumont will never be the same. If, if each of you live that out every day, Beaumont will never be the same. Your, your place of work will never be the same. I've experienced that in my life in ministry. I've, I've yet to build another eight by four large sign and put it on campus. But what I have done is I try to be present 
where I live and work, that's a university campus just down the road. And one of my favorite places to be on campus is the rec center. You can probably tell I work out a lot, so it's my favorite place. That or playing basketball. And so I try to be where the students are. There's a lot of students playing basketball every day on campus. And so as my time allows, I like to go and play basketball and spend time with students. And uh, over the summer, uh, almost two years ago, in fact, when there's not even a lot of students on campus, I would go and play basketball about once or twice a week and got to know a student there. His name is Bryce, and he's a really good basketball player. And so I like to play with the good players. And, and we just got to know each other just by playing basketball. And after a few weeks, I said, hey, Bryce, why don't you come over to my house and hang out? And he said, well, I'm, I'm not available. So, you know, I, I got to know. I got a small rejection. But I continued to see him. And the semester started. My small group was starting up again for the school year. And I said, hey, Bryce, do you want to come study the Bible in my house? Some of you think that's a scary thing to ask. It's actually not too scary. He looked at me and said, yeah, I'll come. He started coming to small group. He had a history in the, in, in the church, yet he joined small group, started coming on Thursday night, and he came alive because he, be, he began getting discipled. And just last week, he started a little Bible study with students that, that I don't even know. And for an hour and a half, they studied the scriptures together. He's being trained to be a small group leader on campus and God is doing something in him, what he did first through him. And God is using Bryce to impact lives simply because he is learning how to be a witness. Friends, each of you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a promise he gives you. You can be empowered. Acts 1-8, memorize that scripture, it's for you because God wants you to be his witness.